Some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. This man was the Lord High Chancellor of England under King James I, and he lived during the age of Shakespeare. And it has also been rumored that his pen may have contributed to the works of Shakespeare. Sounds implausible. Let's go meet Francis Bacon, the founder of the scientific method. Maybe you got lost somewhere, swimming too far off the beach, off the Hello everyone, and welcome to The Cause. My name is Rob, and today we're finally cracking open the third volume of the Harvard Classics series, where we will be discussing the essays of Francis Bacon. There are 59 essays to be exact, and these essays range in genre, from political, moral, emotional, and he also adds a decent amount of wit to make the reading enjoyable. So let's uncover the man real quick, and then we'll dive into some of my favorite of the essays. Bacon was born in January of 1561. Now, this would have been about three years before William Shakespeare, just to give you an idea of the time frame that we're reading about here. His father was Sir Nicholas Bacon, Lord Keeper of the Great Seal to Queen Elizabeth. What a title. Francis Bacon seems to have been homeschooled from a young age, but at the age of 12, he would attend Trinity College in Cambridge. He would study law, and then he would later become a statesman, kind of like the gentry of that time. And shortly after King James comes to power, Francis Bacon would be knighted by him. Now, I will not go down the rumor mill between Francis Bacon and King James, but just know that they were very close. At the middle age of 45, Bacon marries Alice Barnum who was only 13 at the time. And again, I try not to judge the past by our standards today, but sometimes it's just kind of hard not to. In 1621, he would plead guilty to bribery, and he would actually be imprisoned in the Tower of London, making him our second guest in the Harvard Classic series to sojourn in that place for a bit. The first being William Penn, back in Volume 1. He was an Anglican Christian, a statesman, and it's even been rumored that he did partake in the writing of William Shakespeare's works, but that's a really deep rabbit hole, and it's probably something we could never really factually prove. He would die at the age of 65, having no children left behind, and Francis Bacon is probably best known for creating the scientific method and inductive reasoning. That being said, that's just a quick intro to the man, Francis Bacon, and now let's dive into his essays. I'm not going to cover every one of the 59 essays because that would make for a very long video, but I will cover the ones I think that are applicable for us today and the ones that I enjoyed. If you read through the essays, you'll notice how much he pulls from history, the Bible, other religions, and different locations. He uses Latin phrases extensively, but either him, Bacon, or the Harvard Classic series, whoever edited it, provides the translations. I'm not sure who really contributed that. And the essays range in style, meaning, and significance. He literally covers everything from love to revenge to designing a garden fit for a king. And most of the essays start out with a strong line in the very beginning, such as the one in essay one. He starts his first essay off on truth, and it's in a tactful, witty, meaningful type of way. He says, what is truth, said jesting Pilate, and he would not stay for the answer. And you have to look up in the Bible, John chapter 18, verse 38, to kind of give you some context of what he's talking about here. We struggle with truth, it seems, nowadays. With all the technology and science, we still question reality. What is truth? And why does it mean different things to different people? He says, The first creature of God in the works of the days was the light of the sense, the last was the light of reason. And the term light 
is brought up so much in, in terms of speaking about truth from the Bible to other classical works to the Republic from Plato in the very beginning with the cave in the light. If you shine a light on things long enough, it illuminates the object to the senses. Then reason, debate, and eventually understanding will follow. The question nowadays is who is brave enough to shine the light and even braver to speak the truth of which they see. The smears, the hate, the cancellation, the shun, the fear of reprisal awaits that individual. Bacon was brave enough. He said, Certainly it is heaven upon earth to have a man's mind move in charity, rest in providence, and turn upon the poles of truth. You got to put that one to memory. Moving to essay three on the unity of religion. We realize that Bacon thinks highly of religion, and he's a believer in Christ. But if you read this essay, the main focus is on the term unity. He says, let there be variety in the garment, but let there be no division. And context there on the garment is the cloak of Christ. Division causes issues, and we've seen it today in our country. A line that sticks out to me in SA3 is this. Men create oppositions which are not, and put them into new terms so fixed as whereas the meaning ought to govern the term, the term, in effect, governs the meaning. What does that mean? We create opposition where there is none. We then craft or create new words to mean new or different things, causing the new language to overshadow the old which was set in truth. New ideologies emerge and new societal norms change. He says religion is the chief band of human society. Religion has always united us and unity has always been an important concept and, and the term is used extensively in the American founding. United we stand, divided we fall. So cliche and dull, we speak those words without even giving them any deliberation anymore. That quip goes for countries, religion, cities, organizations. We have to start putting a focus back on unity. Moving into essay eight, it puts some wit and honesty into the difference between marriage and the single life. He says, He that hath wife and children hath given hostages to fortune, for they are impediments to great enterprises, either of virtue or mischief. As a married man with four children and a perishing bank account, I kind of concur with them. I realize I cannot move as fast as I could whenever I was single. I would probably have more money saved up. I would probably be further along in my career. And taking risks are easy whenever you're the sole one being affected. But my idea of wealth and riches has changed as I've gotten older. My thoughts of fortune and being fortunate have matured over time as well. My dearest pledges to the world are not enterprises, ideas, amazing coffee, or inventions. My pledges are four little souls that I get to mold, educate, and send out into the world. Some people marry work, some people marry their passion, and some people marry for love. There are trade-offs to each. All are going to have different levels of benefits. And I do think it is possible, if managed correctly, to experience and enjoy all of them in different proportions. Moving into essay 9, real quick on envy, he says, A man that hath no virtue in himself ever envieth virtue in others. I love that. Essay 11 is on men in great places or high status. He brings up the point of great men needing the praise of the crowd to be happy and that they borrow other people's opinions of them to find that happiness because if they use their own feelings, they wouldn't be able to find it. So they think of themselves as others think of them. The problem with famous people kind of putting all their happiness in the crowd is that the crowd's affection changes over time and the attention can be placed somewhere else. Bacon says, when a man feels that he is no longer what he was, he has no reason to live longer. 
I feel this is happening on a micro scale nowadays in regards to influencers and young content creators or even older content creators. Stardom nowadays can be achieved over just a matter of hours or a day or two, such as in Oliver Anthony's case with Richmond North of Richmond. Managing your emotions and feelings in regards to what people think of you or believe of you is important to happiness after you have exited the stage of God's theater. That's getting kind of deep. Essay 15 is on seditions and trouble. It's a great essay. There's honestly too many good things in that essay to, to go over them all, but it's very relevant to today. He discusses the welfare and the division of society. He brings up that the politicians or the government officials usually just give you hope. They give you the hopes and the dreams, but they never really deliver the results. And then depending on the decisions we make during that period, he says the remedy may be worse than the disease. I love that. Moving into essay 16. Essay 16 is on atheism, and I think it's important because of how prevalent atheism is nowadays. Bacon says, it is true that a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy bringeth men's mind about to religion. As we educate ourselves on, on these classical works, it's only natural that our mind starts questioning things. Questioning the why, the what, the how. We may be tempted to question faith, push back on religion, and maybe even entertain atheistic beliefs. A famous example of this, at least in the new classical type sense, is uh, C.S. Lewis. The movie about him, The Most Reluctant Convert, is an amazing movie that kind of supports this point. And I highly suggest checking out that movie if you haven't seen it yet. Bacon brings up another good point, that during learned times of peace and prosperity, such as we are in now, atheism is more prevalent, for troubles and adversities do more bow men's minds to religion. Things are honestly just too good nowadays for some people to seek out God. Who needs a God when we can worship TikTok? Moving into essay 23, it is on the wisdom of a man's self. And there is a wordy passage in there that I had to ponder for a little bit. Bacon says, Divide with reason between self-love and society, and be so true to thyself as thou be not false to others, especially to king and country. Society can distort your idea of self-love and really make you desire things that are not true to your nature. He says it's a poor center of a man's action, himself. It is right earth. For that only stands fast upon his own center, where, as all things that have affinity with the heavens move upon the center of another, which they benefit. One of the wisest things you can learn about yourself is that you are not the center of the world. We can improve ourselves all day, but society will continue on, and most of the time we lack the ability to control or change it in any major way. So you cannot let that affect your happiness or how you feel about yourself. Essay 26 is on dispatch, uh, which can also mean being prompt or efficient, stuff like that. A quick line is, to choose time is to save time, and an unseasonable motion is but beating the air. Sometimes the season of life that you are in will not allow something that you really want to occur. And honestly, you can beat at the air all day long, but it will not come to pass. All the things that you are working for, and that is meant to be, will come in due time. So it's hard to win the war against procrastination unless you can take control of your time and you can choose it wisely. Essay 27 is on friendship, and it's a good one. I'd highly suggest reading it. Moving into Essay 29 on the true greatness of kingdoms is eerily relevant to our current times. From being overtaxed to support of a strong military and a food-based agriculture type society. A nice line is this one. It never troubles a wolf how many the sheep be. That should be another fun one to commit to memory. Essay 34 on riches starts out with a banger line. He says, I cannot call riches better than the baggage of virtue. Think about that. 
uh, baggage in terms of like a military convoy slows down the troops. That's your food, it's the medical supplies, it's all the gear. The baggage is what he's calling riches. It can hold back your virtues and it puts a weight that slows and dilutes your virtues down. In this essay, he basically gives you the formula for getting rich. And it's up to you how you want to proceed about doing it and if it's worth it to you. Essay 38 is on the nature of man. And again, he starts off with just an amazing line. He says, a man's nature is often hidden, sometimes overcome, seldom extinguished. I love that. Moving into essay 41, it's on usury or what is called interest today. Uh, this essay is a great example of Bacon's style. The first part of the essay is the ill effects of the or the immoral use of usury, or the loaning out on interest. The second part of the essay is an explanation of how it's useful and why you need it. So the essay leaves you despising it in the first part of the essay, and then understanding why it's a necessity in the later part of the essay. Bacon will give the old one-two jab, and then he'll roundhouse you back to center real quick. Some of his essays cover how a building should be designed. Others cover how a garden should be laid out. But my favorite essay is number 50, which is on studies. And in regards to like reading books, he says, Read not to contradict and confute, nor believe and take for granted, nor to find talk and discourse, but to weigh and consider. Think about that. These books are not to argue over, nor should we take them for granted like we kind of do. Now, it's fun to have discussions and discourse on them, but the value comes when you weigh and you consider them. Bacon says, Some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. I love the language he uses here. It's food. It's digesting. It's tasting. It's swallowing. It's sitting down to enjoy a good supper of literature. It gives you an image that you cannot get using vocabulary that's more tailored to a bookish setting. The rest of that essay is amazing, and honestly, if you read it slow and thrice, you will probably pull out some amazing stuff from there as well. Essay 54 is on vainglory, and it has a line which is the sign of times for us. It says, Glorious men are the scorn of wise men, the admiration of fools, the idols of parasites, and the slaves of their own vaunts. And vaunts is to basically boast or praise excessively. What a phrase. That basically sums up like all the internet personalities out there, it seems. Essay 57 is on anger and has a quick line I love. He says, whoever is out of patience is out of possession of his soul. I mean, come on. Bacon can pull so much just out of a few words. It just, it amazes me. Uh, essay 58, this is the last one from me. It has a line that is important for us to remember, definitely for the United States and to people living here, to read over, and read over it often. When a warlike state grows soft and effeminate, they may be sure of a war, for commonly such states are grown rich in the time of their degenerating, and so the prey envieth, and their decay in valor encourageth the war. Teddy Roosevelt said it best, speak softly and carry a big stick. Nowadays, we're all screaming at each other, and we carry around keyboards. After reading Bacon's essays, I kind of wondered why he put the essays here in Volume 3 and didn't allow us to read Plutarch's Lives or something like that to kind of give us a little bit of context first. I don't really know the reasoning behind Eliot's placement of the books in this entire series, and it could be completely something that I'm unaware of that I don't know yet. But the essays are kind of short, and they're most likely meant to be read after you have the context of the rest of the Harvard Classic series. I, I think once you went through the entire Harvard Classic series, these essays would mean something completely different to you. So with that being said, I truly hope you enjoyed the essays, Francis Bacon. Next week, we discuss Francis Bacon's New Atlantis, which I'm actually really excited about. It's the first fictional type of story 
in the Harvard Classics so far. And also, I don't know if many of you know, but I do put out these episodes in podcast form as well. So if you'd rather consume them uh, via podcast, I'm on all the, the podcast platforms, so you can look up the cause. I'll have a link in the description if you want to check it out. Also, I'm a coffee roaster, and I roast the devil out of some coffee. So if you want some amazing coffee, I roast all the coffee here in my roastery. I source all the green myself. I package everything ship it out to you with love. You can use the code THECAUSE for 15% off your first order. And with that being said, the channel is growing nicely. I truly appreciate all the support I've been given. Uh, the comments have been wonderful. I've learned so much from you. I've gotten to connect to a few people. I'm very, very excited to kind of see where this goes. I, I truly am. It's It's been it's been a fun journey. I'm, I'm loving this series. It's, it's amazing. Love y'all. I was making lots of noise busking on the city streets I came back from Brooklyn but you didn't come back for me